you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it was a nightmare on Wall Street with selling sweeping across the broader markets. But a top strategist from J.P. Morgan says, do not panic. The year-end rally is still happening. He'll join us in just a few moments to explain why. Plus, the pain doesn't seem to end for Apple getting slammed again today. How much worse could it get for the tech giant? We'll explain, but we start off with a major market sell-off the Dow getting crushed. And once the selling started, it didn't stop. The Dow closed down 800 points near the lows of the session, having its worst day since October 10th. And this is the chart that sent shockwaves through Wall Street. The long-awaited inversion of the yield curve, where the two-year yield went above the tent, the five-year yield. It is an indicator that the economy is weakening and perhaps a recession could be around the corner. So are things about to get a lot worse? And what do you do right now, Guy? Well, last night we started the show, and you asked me what I thought, and I thought I'd, the market would grind higher the rest of the year, maybe some fits and starts. But, we, you know, in terms of the seasonality that December brings, we'd go higher. So much for that, at least for today. But kudos to Brian, Tim, and Steve. I mean, they all talked about fading this rally for many different reasons. That proved to be correct. But in terms of the yield curve, a couple things. I thought the yield curve would flatten. I thought it would happen at 3.5%. I remember the show because Tim said that's a long ways away, 3.5%. I think we'll get there, and that's where we're flat. And that actually wouldn't have been that bad a thing because it would have demonstrated maybe we're seeing the economy strengthen. We're seeing it flatten the other way with the back end of the curve going down. That's not necessarily a very good thing, something Tim's alluded to. So here we are, 2710 is a number that Steve's pointed out. I brought it up. Effectively, the market closed at 2700 today. That's your pivot point. I'm worried that the VIX didn't trade higher than it did on a day like today. That, to me, says people are still way too complacent. So what does it mean? Maybe I was wrong last night in my assessment. 2,700 being the pivot point. I think we're going to February lows. 2532. Yeah, I'll make it easier. I think we're going to February lows. I don't know if they even hold. Use the the Trump trade truce. That's already been shot. You're going to have 90 days, a 90-day war now of headlines. And the Fed Powell is, is, uh, is no longer a put. It's over. I think the market is over. Yesterday when the market was up, I was negative on technicals and of the backdrop fundamentally. I'm, no, I'm not positive on a down day today. I'm even more negative today. So I think in the short term, we probably got low. But let me give you the positive to what the yield curve might be telling Ryan us. Ryan Kelly yes, is going a to be the shining light of him day. Yeah. Wow. When you look at the yield curve and you look at when recessions happen, they typically don't happen when the yield curve inverts. It's when the yield curve re-steepens. And so that period of time is usually a 12 to 24-month period. And you get actually a 25 to 35% rise in the stock market from the point that the yield curve inverts to its re-steepening. So there might be a silver lining in here. But what that else was going said, on? What else we was got going crushed on? with a lot of news today. There you go. We've got the Trump issues. We've got a stronger dollar. Sprinkle in a little bit of problems with the Brexit. Sprinkle in a hawkish Fed potentially. And that, really, that's why I think in the short term, we've got some lo- more lows to go. I agree, Grasso, maybe the, t- the February lows don't even hold. 
But in the longer run, there's going to be an opportunity here. Look, I mean, the, the, the sense that growth has just disappeared overnight when, uh, you know, a couple months ago we were actually talking about things getting too hot. You, you know, you, you have to uh, take your kind of rational, kind of middle-of-the-road look at this and say uh, what markets are starting to price in is that there's no question that we are slowing. You can't tell me we're getting stronger, but that the growth is not falling off the cliff. Um, the bottom line is technically the market looks to be in a very challenged place right now. I agree with these guys that think it goes lower. Um, I think the, the reality is, you first of all, you, you're at a death cross on the S&P if you want to look what? at some of these scary things. Yeah, yeah you are. You, bat- you basically <laughs> have the 50 about ready to cross over the 200 to the downside. We've talked about that with other um, less important indices. Um, but I, I don't think that the data is falling apart. The move in the yield curve is alarming, um, but I think we've seen this before. 11 years, though. 11 years. So I think it's more more than just alarming, and I appreciate your calm, cool-handed approach to it. 11 but years, I think- meaning ever since the the twos, fives inverted. Right. That was negative. The last right. time was 2007. Right. Should we discount today, though, because part of the part of what was going on in the longer end of the yield curve was technical. Uh, hedge funds were positioned short going into this week. Is, could you always say that? Could you always say that when the yield curve inverts? I it's always, know. There's always an excuse why it inverts. It, it, it inverts. So that's the negative part to the, the overall market. When you look at the backdrop to the overall market, there's nothing to be positive about from now to year end. The Fed is burning $50 billion each month. He's still raising rates even if he became dovish. Right. So the, the risk to this is that, yes, the yield curve's been flattening all year. All of a sudden, yeah. everybody seems to worry about it today. And my view is it's because of all these other things. The risk is something that Guy talks about all every day is we're sitting here saying yield curve invert and recession is coming, and everybody puts the brakes on. And then, therefore, the yield curve in the financial markets actually create the recession or create a slowdown because everybody gets concerned. So that is a real risk out there. So it's like a chicken and an egg. So well, I don't yeah. know, and again, I don't know the answer. We talked about it on your show earlier today. I, you know, yeah. I think I know the answer. I do think a market sell-off causes recessions. And I think that's because, again, 73% of this economy is the consumer. To me, this is my opinion, the consumer confidence is just an overlay of the S&P 500. We can debate that as well. But if the market does well, people feel richer. If we have a s- sustained period of a market sell-off, and an evening news tonight at 6 o'clock leads with... Dow plunges 800 points. People start to get concerned. And when people are concerned, they're not as, they're not as free, to, they're not as quick to spend money, and then it sort of feeds on itself. And I don't think we're there warned. yet. Who already warned. Amazon warned. Apple warned. We've had retailers already warned about a Christmas season. To a guy's point, you're a couple of weeks outside of Christmas. You're not going to see those numbers or results for a couple of months, but still you have a reason to sort of hold on to the money in your in your pocket and be less confident. So are we concerned that fourth quarter results won't be as strong because consumers are going to read these headlines about all the volatility in the markets and that they're actually... No, no, no. no. But I mean, I think, I mean the market's looking ahead 9 to 12 months, right, right. right? So the fourth quarter's already pr- been priced in. In the short term, these warnings uh, from Amazon and them gives you, okay, well, there's no more good news for the rest of the year. So let me just... But I guess going to back to Guy's the thesis, I mean, if, if the consumer is tonight going to go home and tune into the evening news and say Dow plunges 800 points, am I going to go to Macy's and and buy five sweaters, or am I right. going to go to Macy's? Uh, and you buy know what? Three? I think no. You're going to buy six because that's how you roll. <laughs> but the bottom line here is, I think that I agree with Guy in terms of the wealth effect, and I, I think the Federal Reserve targets the wealth effect. In fact, many times throughout the course of uh, of looking at stimulus, they've been 
pushing on basically the stock market and also in terms of uh, asset prices, so home prices, physical prices. But um, I, I just want to get to a place here. I, I just find it interesting that people are, are so quickly going from a place we we're expecting runaway 7%, 8% growth in S&P earnings last, next year to a place where now it all looks like it's challenged. It comes down to valuations. The stock market should see a compressed multiple if the Fed is continuing to tighten. If the Fed is stepping back a little bit because they're worried about um, growth slowing down, I actually think that's going to be significantly better for the stock market than people. But they're not stepping back, though. That's the only, the only, the only pushback I have is even if they're not raising, they're raising. They're, they're, they're lightening up on their balance sheet, $50 billion, burning it per month, $600 billion per year. That's the equivalent of raising every time they would meet. Of tightening, yes, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, show of hands here, because I want to I get the bottom line from all of you guys. Are you buying the markets off of this dip? So let me try. Yes. I know you want to show yes. of hands. Yes, Why you raise your hand? Yes. No, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to step in and buy it here. And, and I would just say that we've had a lot of great news. And yesterday, at least we were talking about, look, this market had already rallied back 6 to 10%, depending on whether you're looking at Qs or when you're looking at S&Ps. This is not a reason, especially with the technicals, where they are to go buy. All right, so you don't buy the broader markets. You buy individual stocks. Well, it's interesting. So last night we had a conversation. Cirrus Logic came out and lowered yes. guidance for the second time in basically a month. a month. And we had a conversation. What does it mean for Apple? Steve said probably trades and revisits that 171 level or so. And then my question to you and to basically the audience was, has the move from 230 to 175 priced that in? That's really the calculus you have to make. But there are names that, you know, if you can take the emotion out of this, which is a very difficult thing to do, people will say, I would love to buy Amazon at X or Apple at X, and then it's there, and they pull away because they didn't think it would get there for the reasons that it did. It, the market never gets to your levels for the reasons you want it to. It always looks scarier than it might actually be. So can you give us a name? Well, I think Apple right is now, interesting. Okay. I think oh, I is. do think that the sell-off from 230 to this 175 level is taken into consideration a lot of the things that Cirrus Logic right. said last night. I, I, On your I, buy list. Yeah, yeah, I think that you have to go with home builders. They've been so beaten up. And when you look at the results from Toll today, it, it has really cascaded through the entire space for all different, a host of different reasons. And this is a trade that has not worked. So it has not worked thus far, but the valuations are becoming compelling. So maybe you're getting to the trough. I think transports, uh, they've proven that the earnings profile is very good. The valuations are very good. FedEx was downgraded by a couple of folks today telling us stuff I think we already knew. We know Amazon is potentially going to encroach upon their business. Uh, their Amazon Express and their Amazon Air are things that it's not just the final, the final mile here. Um, FedEx, to me, is one of the best companies in, in the S&Ps and certainly in the transports. The airlines also getting a benefit from weaker oil prices, and they are earning, despite Delta's warnings today, uh, better than they have in a long time. So I'm not buying the dip yet in equities. I mean, I tend to look at the markets more at a macro picture. To me, it looks like we got to break those February lows. It doesn't feel like we've had the capitulation. It doesn't feel like we have the VIX so at the not, highs. There is nothing in this market that I would, you want I would to buy. I would buy TLT. I knew you were going to See, say See, there you go. Our next That's a positive says, thing. Uh, despite all the panic, don't fear the yield curve. Our year-end rally is still on the way. Phil Camporelli, asset allocation strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, is here. It is a bold call mm. to say year-end rally is coming as we enter the later days of December and as we see an 800-point sell-off on the Dow. <laughs> so what's going to be the catalyst? Yeah, so what a day. So we go from yesterday, everybody's afraid of missing this upside, literally overnight. Now everybody's worried about managing downside risk. So, so what changed? A couple of things that, that, I'll, that I'll mention. First off, as far as the trade headlines go, we're taking a time out in this. This game is not over. And Mnuchin said this today. He said, okay, the market has to deal with the fact if we're going to get a real deal on trade. Second thing, cash in the portfolio 
is part of the asset allocation again. It wasn't, we didn't start adding cash when Jerome Powell st- or, or, or the Fed started raising rates from zero. We added cash over the past couple of months when we started to get a little bit more cautious. We are not panicking today. So I was on about a month ago, I was talking about caution. We're not panicking today. The third thing is, for us, if you, if you paint a picture that inflation is gonna remain contained, okay, and growth goes to trend of two to two and a half percent, Jerome Powell should be stopping. He shouldn't be going into restrictive territory. If you're painting the picture that Jerome Powell has to pause because growth is slowing and, and, and there's, there's downside risk to the economy, then you sell equities. But he has no business okay. going to restrictive territory so, with this backdrop. So, so can you reconcile this? Because I wake mm-hmm. up this morning and I yeah. read a note that J.P. Morgan has an overweight yeah. on cash going yes. to 2019. And you're saying that there's going to be a year-end rally. Yeah. So what happens between now and 2019 to make us think that U.S. equities are going to see a rally, but cash is an overweight when the calendar turns? Yeah, so I, over the, overnight what happened was folks said, you know what, I'm going to use a rally to sell. Instead of what we've seen this whole cycle, I'm going to use a dip to buy. So that's what the market is dealing with right now. But before the end of the year, Melissa, there are still plenty of reasons to rebalance here. And I think clients are going to be looking at that. Nobody's looking to be a hero, but I think just the rebalancing and getting the look at a market that's down before the end of the year, I think is going to to cause people to come back in. So, Phil, I think that's a great point. A lot of our viewers watch the show Mm -hmm. also are looking at allocation of the portfolio. Bonds have not been a great trade yeah. until recently. Mm-hmm. Do you pile money into the, into the long end of the curve right now? I mean, what, what's your sense in terms of allocation towards fixed income? It's been kind of a losing trade yeah. on both sides for most of the year. Now, it, I mean, do you dive yeah. into allocations towards bonds? Yeah, this would be the, only the fourth year since 1976 that bonds are negative. Bonds are usually positive. They usually can play defense. So if you have a... We've moved 30 tenure, bips on the 10-year. If you have a 10-year treasury that's high twos or low threes, that's defense for our equity overweight. So if we're wrong about equities and treasuries are at three and not two, that's the reason why you go into bonds. I, you know, we don't want to make money on that hedge, but it's at, at the entry point is really good. The other thing I'll say about twos, tens, because I think that's the real one to watch. Have we ever been this flat on twos, tens when the Fed threw three and a half trillion of quantitative easing into their balance sheet? Have we ever been this flat on twos, tens when the Fed took rates to zero? I haven't seen anyone quantify what that really means for the curve. So uh, going down the, the lines of this time is different, and I get that well, they banks, are Well, banks aren't going to lend, Phil. Banks aren't going to lend. You had lumber prices come in yep. by 50%, copper prices by 10% pretty recently. So you've had the market just off kilter yeah. at this point. The Fed is moving. Rates are moving higher. Yep. We came from 2940 in the S&P. There's no reason to make new highs with this backdrop. The calculus has changed. Why buy the market now? But are, they, are rates moving higher? Or is Jerome Powell trying to create a pivot? Is he trying to get... Do you feel comfortable with a 10 basis point spread between twos, tens, when it hasn't been this tight? It's been, it's been yep. collapsing for years. Yep. So you could say that over the course of the... Yes, yep. the market's gone up, but it's been collapsing for years. Steve, you know when else it was flat? It was flat in the second and third quarter. In the second quarter, we had 4% growth. In the third quarter, we had 3% growth, and we were flat. People are picking on the yield curve today because the Dow's down 700 points. Right? I think that's why banks don't lend when the yield curve flattens or inverts. They yeah, don't but, lend. You know what? Banks become popular just to invest in if they're getting their dividend back. So if you're, if how's you're, that going for you? It, it's going pretty well. Yeah, it's going okay. pretty well. So if, if dividends are coming back and 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 regu- deregulation is happening, financials become important. I'm just taking a bit of a pause on twos tens. People love talking about twos tens, but it's different because the Fed has a gigantic balance sheet now. When was it this flat? When the Fed's balance sheet was this big? Yes, they're tapering and they're and they're selling assets, but they're but shouldn't, but shouldn't shouldn't, shouldn't long rates be selling up? I I hear what you're mm-hmm. saying, and I'm not freaking about twos tens. I also think banks are not a bad place to. Be, yeah. But um, 
technically, the long end should be selling off more if, in fact, we're going to have double the issuance that we're going to have in 2019 as we had in 2017. And the bottom line is uh, assets are rolling off the balance yep. sheet. 10,000 people are turning 65 every day. They need fixed income. That's number one. Number two, where's the inflation risk? Globally, where's the inflation risk? If inflation stops here at two and the Fed is pausing because of that, I want to be long equities in that scenario. Do I want to be long this week? I'm not sure, but I want to be long in the environment where inflation is not rampant. So if, we, if you're not worried about the, the flat yield curve, mm-hmm. but you are worried about a situation where the economy slows down to the point of potential recession where the Fed has to now cut rates, yes. what indicator do investors look at to say, hey, you know what? There's a recession coming and or the Fed is likely to cut rates. Yeah, the combination of consumer confidence, and I agree with Guy what he said about the equity market and that being a confidence indicator. And I look at the jobs market. It's all about jobs. And is anyone here talking about a weak labor market? No, right? So the labor market for us is still uh, a really good indicator. Initial jobs claims. Every Thursday, 8.30 in the Although morning. for peak jobs, you've got nowhere else to go but down. Yeah, but it's a tight labor market, right? So people are making more. That's a good thing, especially in the context of inflation remaining contained. Phil, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Phil Confoyali of J.P. Morgan. Guy Dami, we're yes. going to get uh, a labor market read conveniently on Friday. Convenient. And it's interesting, tomorrow, obviously, the markets, I mean, it's it's a very interesting week. Listen, there's no denying that, I mean, the president talks about it all the time. It's the strongest economy in the history of our republic. He says that I'm paraphrasing, and the job markets are absolutely at record highs. But does that then correlate to a market that can continue to go higher? Maybe it's quite the opposite. So, you know, listen, it's it's I've been so wrong for so long, it's very confusing. So I'm just going to take a pause here now. But I will say that with what's going on in Europe, Tim's pointing this out, the yield curve, it's never different this time, in my opinion. I think that's what Steve's saying as well. Yeah. What are you there, saying? There's, there's no reason <laughs> to be buying equities right now. Equities have a long drop ahead of them. I would say that if you're putting you uh, below 25, 32 for starters. So let's talk, about, let's talk about another 170 handles. Are you short so the market? What, what? Would you be short the market? So I've wanted to sell the market, and you sit on your positions, and you say, well, oh, it's coming back, it's coming back. This is going to be a buy-the-dip opportunity. This is reversed, and it's a sell-the-pop opportunity, and I think you should be making sales in equity. So I wouldn't short it, but I don't, I don't short stocks. I wind up investing and either cutting or investing. I think if you're an aggressive trader, you can short this market. I mean, you've got a really good setup. You know that yesterday's high is your stop out. Now, it's a pretty wide, you know, you're a pretty wide stop away, so maybe you use puts or something like that. But if you're a trader, there's a great opportunity to be short. All right. Coming up, the trade turmoil continues with more back and forth from the White House on how close the U.S. is to a deal with China. We've got all the details. Plus, bad Apple, the stock getting crushed again today. Are we witnessing peak iPhone? How bad could it get for the tech giant? The top technician weighs in. And later, a sea of red on Wall Street today. And if you're worried things are about to get even uglier out there, don't be. The traders have got four hideout trades to help you weather the storm. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple, a major drag on the market today. Shares falling more than 4% on the back of another analyst downgrade and a flurry of headlines from Wall Street. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with all the details. Hi, Josh. Melissa, Apple bears today out in force, capitalizing on that string of TEF headlines that we saw. Stock down hard today and in what some traders define as a bear market, down more than 20% from its October 3rd high. Today, three big worries to focus on. One, HSBC cuts Apple to hold and slashes their price target too. Yes, valuation is attractive, they're telling their clients, but catalysts are lacking in their words. Also, bad news from an Apple supplier. This time it was Cirrus Logic slashing Q3 revenue guidance, talking about weakness in the smartphone market. In fact, Apple suppliers in the red today. Check out how Intel, Skyworks, and Corvo finish the day. Finally, Bloomberg reporting that Apple has now moved marketing staff from other projects to work on bolstering sales of the latest and greatest iPhones. In what's described in that report as a fire drill, Apple declining comment on that report. So what do bulls say in response to all this? I checked in with Piper Jaffrey's Mike Olson. He remains upbeat, arguing that a lot of bad news, in his opinion, is now priced in at these levels about potential iPhone unit weakness, that international iPhone units might be disappointing, but the U.S. looks strong, he says, and he expects continued strong services growth in the high teens, if not higher. Mel, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. So are we witnessing peak iPhone? And if so, how bad, how bad could things get for the stock? BK, what do you say? Well, I think we witnessed peak iPhone about a couple months ago, right? We've already had the sell-off in Apple. And in an environment like we have now, the tech stocks that you need to be worried about are the high valuation ones. I wouldn't argue that Apple's necessarily high valuation. The headwind, though, is what are the catalysts, right? We've all been waiting for the services to come up and to really grow and to become a bigger part of the pie and all of that. Maybe that's in question now. So that's a headwind, but I don't think you necessarily get really hurt in Apple at these relatively low valuations. Part of the HSBC call, which was a down great to a hold today was that the installed base would be sort of flat, that there right. are no catalysts for further penetration for Apple iPhones at this point. But, but look, I, I feel like we've had that argument. We could have made that argument for the last couple of years. The reason the stock outperformed the S&P by 20% from July through the point in which it started to now underperform the S&P by 20%, by the way, and I think it's actually oversold to the downside relative to the S&P. Um, is, is the sense that the services revenue was going to be substantial, Mel. So I, I, you know, to me, look, I, I, I could have made an argument two years ago we were at peak iPhones, and we largely were. Maybe we actually peaked about a year ago. There's no question if people are looking at units in 2017, 18, 19, those numbers were going to be flat. Um, what's different about this company than we had in July? Not a whole lot other than the backdrop of the global marketplace and the fact that they're not giving the same guidance on units. Their services business, just as much to be excited about. That installed base is someone to exploit, and that's why we love services. If the installed base is flat, I mean, isn't that sort of the flywheel effect? Yeah. Do we need an expanding installed base number in order to get the expanding service number? I, I think, you, yes, no? I think they both feed on itself. But uh-huh. I think it was that question. When, when the market was going down, when that value was being bought over growth, Apple was benefiting on both sides. So when growth was being bought, they bought Apple. When value was, was being rotated in, they bought Apple. Now you're not seeing that win-win. And services have to be the growth engine. If people are going to start questioning that services, that $37 billion number is not enough to keep the engine going, mm-hmm. that's a real problem for Apple, and it still has a ways to go. All right, let's get another opinion on the stock. Our next guest says Apple's fall from grace may just be temporary, and he's got two other tech names to buy the dip on. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors is at the Plasma to break it down. Hey, Mark, what are you looking at? Hey, how are you? 
So let's take a look at today's market. We're down over 3%. It caught a lot of people off guard. And many people mentioned the yield curve all of a sudden. That's been a big area of focus. Of course, the Chinese yuan spiking up the last couple of days also uh, interesting. But NASDAQ obviously affected very hard. So you take a look at the daily chart and you see we did, in fact, break down under the recent uptrend that we saw just from last week. What's important to mention is that we were up about 8.5% within about six or seven trading days. So we did actually cause momentum to start to turn higher. We also actually broke out above this downtrend just since October. So those are a couple positives. The fact that we pulled back today, 3.5%, it is a short-term negative. We could actually pull back a little bit more. My thinking is that we likely hold these lows from a combination because of momentum near-term positive, also the fact that sentiment right now is starting to turn more and more negative. When you take a look at stocks like Apple, uh, what's interesting is that Apple, in a very similar situation, has actually broken this minor uptrend that we were looking at before. So that is an important and actually negative uh, development in the short run. However, Apple, of course, being down 20% from its highs. And so there are three reasons I think that are important as to why people can buy Apple at current levels. One is that momentum on a short-term basis is actually positive when you look at things like MACD, M-A-C-D. Uh, sentiment has turned very, very negative on Apple because of trade war. Now it's being downgraded, and the stock is already down 20% from the, from the highs. Uh, and the third is that weekly momentum is close to being oversold in the stock. And so it might not be my, my best pick in technology, but yet I do think we're closer to the lows in Apple. My low would be 160 is a maximum of about 10%. I do think the stock can get up to 195, 205. A stock that I actually like a lot better are stocks like Alibaba. So Chinese technology is starting to look better than U.S. technology. You see, the longer-term downtrend from this year actually was broken out of over the last few days on signs of this, this uh, trade war truce. And so that's what's interesting is that you look at stocks like Alibaba, Tencent, all of a sudden they're starting to show meaningful signs of technical strength really for the first time this year. Now, a lot of fundamental analysts have been pounding the table on these stocks for some time. Many are very, very positive on Alibaba fundamentally. Technically, for the first time in a while, I can make a case that hey, we might want to step in and, and take a look at buying shares of Alibaba, particularly on any near-term weakness. Another one, of course, is VMware. A lot of the enterprise software continue to be quite strong. We saw a longer-term bullish breakout of this pattern that went back over 10 years. Right around this time last year, we've consolidated, and just in the last couple days, we've seen evidence of this little pattern start to show evidence of breaking back out to the upside. So, Today, we did not accomplish that, obviously, with today's 3.5% down move in indices. However, we're very, very close to this, a very constructive longer-term pattern. For those looking at technology, I would continue to suggest enterprise software and also Chinese technology. Uh, I think that, that group is great. And, of course, for those that wish to buy Apple, I think near-term, you get down to probably 170 at a maximum. Uh, 160 is uh, really the make-or-break for longs. Did, did you guys catch the self, would you rather than Mark threw in Alibaba over <laughs> Apple? He answered the question himself. I love that. I mean, but it in speaks terms to the of, power of the game. In terms of Alibaba, Mark, and, and the Chinese tech stocks in general, how correlated, if they are correlated with the broader Shanghai Composite or Shenzhen even? I mean, just I'm wondering, you know, if you, if you think that the Chinese market is going to have some more trouble because of the China-U.S. Tr trade tiff, whatever you want to call it, right. then should you maybe stay away? Well, I think the last couple of days have answered that for us. I mean, if anything, the truth seems like it could work because the markets certainly seem to be breaking out. And I'm not necessarily looking at the Shanghai Composite, but the more liquid offshore indices like the Hang Seng China Enterprise in the Index 
HSCEI has broken out, very similar to stocks like Alibaba. This stock happens to be part of a larger Chinese technology ETF called the CQQQ as part of Invesco. And so that's one that I own. It did break out similar to Alibaba lately, and that's one that I would take a look at, at owning at current levels on this All right, Mark, good to see breakout. you. Thank you. Mark Thank you. Newton of Newton Advisors. Would you rather, rather, <laughs> Apple, Alibaba, VMware? Good question. VMware? Okay. Oh, were you not asking me? I wasn't, but you know, yeah. you played. <laughs> the guy was taking too long to yeah. compute. I know. It was, well, it was well, no, go ahead, guy. I mean, I'm still you, it was, thinking it through my yeah. head. VMware. All right. I'm going to go with VMware. Reason why is you're seeing outperformance in that in a down market, relative outperformance to the S&P 500. The growth has been okay, valuation okay, but when you see something in a market like this doing quite well, that's the one you want to stick with. Have you thought about it? No, I figured it out okay. now. Because right. three, you have three delay, choices. But yes. <laughs> So in the would I rather rather, yes. I'll stand by. I still think President Trump's tweet about Apple a couple weeks ago will put in the bottom. I think that came around 173 or so. So in the game, you just put forth Apple. All right. Coming up, the trade truce is on, maybe, but will it last? We'll tell you what President Trump said that has Wall Street questioning a real deal between the U.S. and China. Plus, check out this mystery chart. This stock not only ended the day in the green, but it also has vastly outperformed the market in the last two months. When we tell you the name, you won't believe it. I'm Melissa Lee. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. The trade turmoil continues today as President Trump took to Twitter to clarify where the U.S. stands with China. Eamon Javers is in Washington, D.C. with more on this developing story. Hi, Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. There are a lot of words in this tweet that the president put out today, but most people just focusing on two of them, the words tariff man. Uh, Here's what the president wrote on Twitter. He suggested that if the talks don't go well, that the Chinese should remember, quote, I am a tariff man. When people or countries come in to raid the great wealth of our nation, I want them to pay for the privilege of doing so. It will always be the best way to max out our economic power. We are right now taking in billions in tariffs. Make America rich again. His Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, spoke at a Wall Street Journal forum today here in Washington. He was asked whether or not ultimately this question of uh, market volatility will play in the administration's decision making about the China deal as those negotiations go on over the next 90 days. Here's how he answered that question. I don't think it's going to have a big impact. I mean, I was, I was you know, from, from my perspective, first of all, I would just comment You know, I do think we have a lot more market volatility in general 
because of the amount of uh, electronic trading and trading programs there are, and because of kind of the Dodd-Frank issues, uh, dealers can no longer really principal. So the Treasury Secretary there suggesting that market volatility won't have a lot of impact on the president's decision-making and his administration's decision-making as they go through that 90-day process. And as we learned last night, Melissa, that 90-day process actually began on December 1st, not January 1st, as we got some indication yesterday. So the administration clearing that up overnight as well. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers Goodbye. at the White House. So was the Treasury Secretary right? Was today selling mainly driven by electronic trading? Is it as if... All the electronic traders got into the market at the end of the year because Hogwash. before that, we had been suffering a market that had no volatility in it, that had barely 1% moves on any given day for a very, very long time. No. So where were they then? It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's not all of a sudden that all the computers showed up today. They've been trading all year long. Don't blame the computers or the quants for when we go up 500 points or 600 points. I think all they are. Of a I think today, they are the computers sides, showed up. I think they are. Every, a, a lot more people. The fact of trading right. is that people put a lot of their positions into algorithms. So I think there's enough room for everyone I, to be right the, here. It's I not as if... I think the point, if, though, is that if the administration is going to take credit for a market that goes higher, it's oh got yeah, to I'm take, not saying, I'm not it saying, can't I'm not blame pushing, the algos yeah, when I'm the not, market goes below. It's, it's, it's computer-driven. <laughs> you there. can't deny today when we broke through the 200-day moving but, average what about the that electronics we kicked up. The electronics kicked Guys, in. Guys, we kicked in on the same yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So it's not today. They didn't cause the sell-off. They're an accelerant on both sides, just like ETFs are an accelerant. But you can't blame them for a sell-off. That's nonsense. I think we've seen extraordinary moves in the bond market relative to itself. I mean, that, that to me, is inspired the equity move. And so you can't tell me three down to 288 intraday on the 10-year and the move that we see in the curve and the expectations that the market is priced in, that's causing volatility. Guy pointed out that he's actually concerned that he thought there should have been more volatility as measured by the VIX. I would agree with that. In other words, we're not really in skyrocket territory. Somewhere around 21 on the VIX to me is where actually we're close to the long-term average. Yeah. Yeah, I would okay. rather have seen, I mean, I'm not an expert in the VIX, so I would rather see it be closer to 25, 26, maybe peak at 30, and that could be some sort of capitulation bottom in terms of the market. And to Tim's point, we're not close. I mean, Secretary Mnuchin's comments, I think Brian is saying, it's pretty ridiculous, and I, and I agree. I mean, we never, it's indiscriminate selling on the way down, but we never use the term indiscriminate buying but on it the is. way up. But it's, it's both. Of course right, it is. Exactly. It's, it's, it's both. Of course it but is. But there is an electronic element to both sides. So granted, he's not calling it on both sides. But today, when we broke that level, I lit up with programs that came in based on that level that we breached. It was an onslaught of sell But what's side. the difference between that and just traders sitting there seeing a level and putting an order in? Why, why are the machines no trader. The Yes, back, back, back 10, day, 15, 20 right. years so ago, it's, it's they just used to market do it. action. But it's now you have the ability as a trader to sit on a desk and spit out 100 orders or 1,000 orders, where in the past you could only do one. One, two, or three. Still Where BK, size, it's still an order, though. It's still an order. No, it's still an order. But the electronics has 10x, 100x impact on the market. It's, so it's, does it it's magnify the moves? Yes, it magnifies the moves. That's what you're seeing. Well, one of the things that I think the market is starting to become somewhat inured to these kinds of moves. Let's be clear. I, I don't think people were panicking. And, and part of the argument here is, is that this market hasn't really panicked at all. Even at the lows that we hit at 2510, I think there's an argument that the market didn't really have that washout. Well, we'll know it when we get it, but it, it doesn't feel like we've had it. I mean, we didn't see the volume today, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we've been saying there hasn't been a capitulatory moment. Even right. down 800 points on the Dow at the close. We're still asking who's buying wasn't. the dip. 
<laughs> you still, when you ask who's buying the dip, you can't have a bottom. Well, this when is you a little bit of an fear, exception no here. Here on the desk, it's a little bit of an exception. No, no, you no guys my point is everyone across, faster, across the street, everyone is still saying, where do you buy the market? And until you say, dump everything, that's the capitulation moment that you're waiting for. There is no fear on Wall Street yet. How do the computers factor I don't know about in, though, that, to a capitulatory moment? I mean, <laughs> you well, just said no, there's no fear yet. There's said, no fear yet. I said I, I said, I think we see some complacency. I think if you look at where the bull bear indicators are, you know, two weeks ago, we were actually at extreme bearishness. I think we've gotten to this place. I think the Fed took a lot of a lot of that off. I, I, I think we might all be saying the same thing. Not that I feel the need to actually agree with you. Um, the bottom you line is we've no actually fear. saw the market. I agree. We, married no fear eight, yet. we rallied 8% off the bottom on the NASDAQ. That's a major move that changed oversold to possibly overbought. All right, still ahead. Check out this stock. It was one of the few bright spots today, and it's up nearly 30% in the last two months as the rest of the markets have tumbled. Can you guess what it is? Guy Dami stock. Power. Transport's getting crushed as the Amazon threat sends shares of FedEx and UPS plunging. How much worse could it get? What could it mean for the markets? We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Transport's getting crushed today. The group closing down by more than 4% for its worst session since June 2016. The transport's now trading below its 50, 100, and 200-day moving averages. Dom Chu joins us from headquarters with more. Hello, Dominic. Hello, Melissa. So if you thought it was a rough day for the broader markets overall, the pain was even worse, like you pointed out, with economically sensitive industries in particular, like those transportation stocks who got hit especially hard. While the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 3%, the Dow Jones Transportation Index lost around 4.5%, and every stock in the index lost ground today. A handful of them stood out as real laggards. Just take a look at package and freight delivery companies like UPS and FedEx, the second and third worst performing Dow transportation stocks. The 6 to 7% plus losses today mean that from its 52-week highs, UPS has lost around 21%. And FedEx has lost around 22% big moves. One of the big drivers was a more negative research note from Morgan Stanley analyst Ravi Shankar, who lowered his price targets on both UPS and FedEx, citing, among other things, rising competitive fears over Amazon's transportation initiatives. More broadly speaking, though, since the highs for the year, the Dow transports back in September have lost around 15% through the October lows. They rebounded more sharply from 10, down from there to 11% higher through yesterday, and then, of course, got slammed today, like you pointed out. Now, Melissa, if there are fears over an economic slowdown, these are the stocks that could become key industry groups and assets to watch if that slowdown thesis starts to play out. Back over to you guys. Thank you, Dom. It's always okay. great to have you on the show. Always One of the hardest working men. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know why you, you did that, because you wanted to engage in conversation to let people in the because home audience know that he actually is live. I, I, I'm, I'm he here. always is. I, I'm He's just always here. Saying, I don't know what guy, you're talking I don't, about, Exactly. Guy. I don't know just what you're talking about. Back. <laughs> no, yeah. we have more time today, so I just thought I'd, you know, engage. Great to have you, Guy. And it's a market sell-off. Great to have you, too. Thank you, Dom. You got it, guys. Dom Chu. So are the transports signaling more trouble ahead for the barter market? 
if you still believe in Dow theory. I don't know. Do you, Tim? Well, I, I think it's it's a useful uh, theory to apply to markets, especially when you're considering growth. And the transports usually are the place, you know, you know, we often look to the rails to really to get a feel for what's going on below the trenches. I think in the case of FedEx and UPS, this whole Amazon thing is well overdone. I actually think if you consider the accretion of TNT to FedEx's earnings, it's still um, probably not even priced in. I think it's 16 times. This is a $300 stock. I'm saying in this environment, probably doesn't trade at 16 times. It even trades at 14 times. This is a stock worth owning right here. I think FedEx is basically, I think FedEx trades around 11 times next year's numbers. They probably have 16% EPS growth. It topped out at this time last, well, this time basically last year around 275. They report on December 18th. I don't know if the, if there are any tailwinds from this lower energy price, but it doesn't hurt. So I think the setup into earnings on the 18th sets up really well on the long side for FedEx. Yeah, so FedEx, UPS, take them out of the picture. They may have some idiosyncratic things with Amazon Air. That being said, look at the rails. The rails don't look good. They don't trade well. Look at rail car loadings. They're up through the end of September. But the rails themselves are starting to anticipate some weaker rail car loading. So that's, to me, the key here, rather than FedEx or UPS. We have a different transportation system right now. So back where the rails used to be, uh, the 100% of the story with the Dow theory, I, I don't think it's as much. It's still important. But when you look at the airlines, you look at Spirit Airlines, save is the ticker symbol. It's up 40% year to date. There's some, I don't, I, every time I look at this chart, I think there's no way it's going to hold this level. It continues to hold the level of Spirit Airlines. All right, coming up, the bond market spooking investors today as the Dow and the S&P fell uh, more than 3% apiece. And one trader just made a million dollar bet. It is about to get worse. We've got all the details. Plus, as momentum stocks crashed in the last few months, there has been one surprising winner in the space. We'll tell you what it is and whether you should get into more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amid all the recent volatility, one unlikely stock has emerged as a surprising safety trade. You're talking about Tesla. Shares of the automaker up nearly 30% in just the last two months, on track for its best quarter in more than three years. Shares are slightly higher today, making it the best performer in the NASDAQ 100. And this, as CFRA raised its price target on the stock to the infamous 420 level, citing the potential for lower price versions of the Model 3. As the rest of the market sells off, should you seek shelter mm. in Tesla? I never thought I'd be uttering those words, but should you? Uh, shelter, no. You can trade it if you want. But I don't think this this is certainly not a shelter stock. Remember what happened here. We had a little bit of a relief rally for two reasons. One, they settled with the SEC. Elon Musk still at the helm. Number two, they actually made some money, which is some you know something we've been waiting for for quite a, quite a time. But you've had a tremendous rally. Remember, it is still a highly, highly, very risky stock. And you have a headwind that they still do need to raise money. Stock price up here will help that, but they still need to raise money in potentially an environment that's not a very good money-raising environment. So as a a shelter, no. You want to trade it, trade the breakout, or wait for a breakdown, probably down to like 280 again. If it broke to that, I'd buy it. Electric, which is a blog, reported that Elon Musk sent out an internal email to employees saying that the, the Model 3 production rate was at, they reached 1,000 a day, which would be 7,000 a week, which is their long-term production rate, which theoretically would enable them to capture certain efficiencies and perhaps put Bring off down the, burn. the need right, to, to tap the capital market. All of a sudden, their balance money. sheet looks pretty well. Looks seems, better. Looks better. And it's interesting. So we had Gene, Gene Munster on the show a couple months ago, and I, I asked him a question. Obviously, the counterfactual never works. But what I said to him was, if you backed out Mr. Musk's tweet about 420, if you go back to this summer, that stock was on a trajectory to get to 420 by itself. 
than the last quarter suggests, maybe we should be there. Again, I'm not saying well, you can't back it out. And you can't, you can't back, back out half the out. things he says. And how about all those announcements on deliveries that haven't even been closed? So I have to stay in my lane and say exactly, I don't think this company trades on fundamentals. It never has and probably never will. And so calling it a safety stock in this environment, I think, is borderline ludicrous. I also think that the stock, if I look at it over two years, it's done absolutely nothing. It's down 10%. So, you know, that's a pushback to just say, yes, there's no question it's been a counter trade in a difficult market, um, but I don't think it trades on fundamentals. Shocking. That's why it's higher. Shocking. First of all, I thought the stock off that SEC over the summer, is that when it was basically over the summer yeah. or whatever month it was? August. I thought July. we were, look out below, I thought the stock mm-hmm. was going to get cut in half from there. It's rallied 48%. From those no, it's lows, sin- it's destroying some shorts. I mean, Shocking. it's absolutely yeah. crushing people. I, I Just when not... it looked like you could knock it over, um, and right, and I thought it was over. I thought it was lights out for Tesla. It, uh, kudos to him. It is still tradable, so it's not like we can't we can, we can't trade this thing. So you have to admit defeat. It's up 48%. I would not buy it now. You wouldn't. Okay. I would not. I still wouldn't buy it now, but this is shocking to me that it's up 50%. Coming up, a bond breakout sending shockwaves across the market today. And one trader just made a huge bet. The rally is just getting started. We've got the details, plus much more on the big sell-off tonight on Mad Money. In fact, take a look at Jim on the Kramer cam, talking about why the Fed and President Trump are doing more harm than good for the markets. That will be at the top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The bond spike sending shockwaves across the markets today. The TLT bond ETF hitting its highest level since September. One trader just made a huge bet. The bond breakout is just getting started. Mike Ho is breaking it down in San Francisco. Hey, Mike. Hi there. TLT traded well over three times its average daily options volume today. And that's notable because it normally trades about 90,000 contracts, which is quite a lot today, trading a total of 336,000 contracts. And like we saw in a lot of areas of equity options and ETF options today, it seems like there was a lot of hedging activity, speculation that things could get a little bit worse. We saw that here, too. The January 121-127 call spread in TLT traded over 20,000 times for over 50 cents. So the buyer of that call spread is speculating that TLT could rise, or put differently, that the long rate could fall, maybe as much as 50 basis points, which would take us back to the levels at the beginning of the year. And I think this, combined with some of the other trades we saw, indicate that people were taking advantage of something Guy mentioned a little bit earlier, which is that options premiums didn't spike maybe as much as you would expect given the sell-off today. They're trying to take advantage of that and get a little hedging in while they still could. How, given the move today, Mike, how high do you think the VIX should have been? Well, you know, so the way you can look at it is, you know, we take a look at how volatility is. You can take whatever the current level is and divide that number by about 16. That tells you what the standard deviation is. Today's move, based on where implied volatility is, is about a three standard deviation move. Normally, I probably would have expected it to bake in uh, a little bit more of that kind of movement. Plus, we've seen quite a lot of this volatility over the course of the last several weeks. So I think maybe because volatility had gotten elevated, there's a bit of complacency just in options generally. And, you know, it didn't respond as violently as it often does. But I would have thought 25 or 6 probably would have been a level that I would have seen pretty easily given the move that we saw in equities today. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades.
And we have a quick programming note. The markets may be closed tomorrow, but we will be here for a very special Fast Money. That starts tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Wait a second. What? It would be another big day. Did you so, hear that? Two Mark your calendar. Be here at 2 o'clock. Special edition of Fast Money. So we're going to size up the markets tomorrow? We're going to size yeah. up what we should look ahead Thursday and Friday. It's a very big week it for is, trading. It's, it's a lot of responsibility for Fast Money. Sure. But we can handle it. We take it. Time we'll for the it. final trade, Tim. Yeah, and we'll also take AT&T, which to me I think is going to be selling off assets, actually is delivering on their dividends. Just want to buy defensive. Speakers. So the other risk we have out there besides the volatility index is the dollar. UUP dollars is a new VIX. You buy that one. Steven. Duncan Brands. That's been security. That's been safety. It's up 13% year to date and then some. Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Ooh. Melissa. Mm-hmm. Yes, Tim. I, All right. Volatility. I know that does did. it for us here uh, on Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 2. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.